0: week, we looked at a parable that Jesus told, and that is one that's called the parable of the sower, and Jesus gave examples in this parable uh, last week about four different types of soil, and each one represented the condition of our heart, the soil represented the condition of our heart, and how receptive we were or were not to the Word of God. And then, of course, Jesus told us that the seed is the Word of God, and the first soil that he talked about were people who had a hard heart and a shut mind for God's Word. The second soil that he talked about were people who seemed to listen to God's word. And they took encouragement from it. But they never put down roots for endurance. And with that soil, Jesus said that they would believe for a while. But then when the tests and the trials of life would come, they would fall away. Because they had no real root system. And the third soil was the person who heard God's word. But they allowed the busyness and the worries of life to choke the things of God out. These people were so distracted by other things and the worries of everyday life that it literally just choked the things of God right out of them. They had no room for them in their lives. And then the last soil was the people who received God's word, he said, and they put it into action and then they laid down roots that would last. And these people not only heard the word with joy, but they put it into action and they established roots that were deep enough When the storms of life came, they not only survived, but they grew deeper, and they grew more mature in their faith. And hopefully that last soil is the one that describes the condition of our hearts. That's the goal. And today, as we continue this series, Planted, but today we're going to look at it from a different perspective. Today, we're going to be the sowers and the planters. And Scripture gives us a great lesson in planning. If you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Reading four verses, verses seven through 10. I'll be reading from the NIV. Paul said, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Today, I'm going to preach to you part two of this sermon series. We're going to be talking about sowing and reaping. One more time, if you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you once again for your presence. Thank you for your word that we've just read. Lord, Your word tells us that it won't return void. So I'm asking you today that you would remove the distractions that would prohibit us from or hinder us from hearing and receiving what you're speaking to us today. And I pray, Lord, you would anoint these lips of clay to not speak my words. Or with the enticing words of men's wisdom. But let your word come forth today in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. And on every ear to hear and every heart to receive today. Lord, let us have the right kind of soil. Lord, for this word to be sown upon today. And let us leave this place differently than we came. Because we've been in your presence. And we've been changed by your word. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Ben. One of the most important lessons that the scripture gives us here concerning planting is simply this, you cannot fool God about what you are sowing. In verse 7, the first sentence, verse 7 of our main text, when we go back to that, the first sentence, Paul says very plainly, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Now, there are different ways that we can be deceived. And one of those is to fool ourselves. One of those is to deceive ourselves. And sometimes we convince ourselves that something is true when it is not. How I many knows what I'm talking about? Sometimes we can, you know, there's this saying that says perception is reality, right? Right? And so if we perceive something a certain way, sometimes we convince ourselves that something is true when indeed it's not. This is why I try to teach the younger generation every opportunity I get. Text communication is still not the best form of communication today. Can I get a witness? Because when you read a text, you cannot perceive or see body language you cannot you can't hear a tone but yet you can read the words and you can put your own tone and and interpret your own body language into it and sometimes you can believe something to be a way that it's not and I see people looking at each other that must have texted each other and that happened but anyway so I, I don't even need to get an amen because I see it uh, on some of your faces this morning but sometimes we convince ourselves that something is true when it's not and what we need to understand is this, we cannot convince God to believe something that it's not. Now, the Greek word for mocked here, we're going to talk about that, is translated, the word that it's translated from, here's what it means. It means to turn the nose up at, to sneer at, or to treat with contempt. And it's used in a passive sense. See, we can fool people. And we can make them think that we are planting one kind of seed when in reality we are planting something totally different. But we are never going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. He's never going to be fooled and we're not going to be able to turn our nose up at God and mock Him and Him not understand what's going on in our lives. See, back in the early church, we read in the book of Acts that it was an incredible time in the life of the church. And the scripture said that the believers were of one heart and one mind. In the King James, it says, of one mind and one accord. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute and say, my, oh, my, what would happen today if we could get everybody in the church in one mind and one accord? What would happen? See, we, we tend to get a little too hung up most of the time on personal preferences, we, we think that personal preferences are really important, something that I want. Can I tell you this morning that the way I do it may not always please you. The way Pastor Nicholas does it may not always please you. But one thing's for sure, the way you do it may not always please us. But one thing is for sure, when God does it, everybody's pleased. Can I get an amen? When God does what God wants to do, when God does what God does best... What would happen if we could get everybody in the church just long enough to get through a service? To be in one mind and one accord. What, would, what awesome things would God do in the church? What we could accomplish? But there was another thing that happened in that church was we read that... Now, some of y'all would be like, ain't no way. They sold everything they had and everybody gave everything to the church... And then the church took those funds and took care of everybody else with it. So how would y'all feel this morning if your money was my money? Right? Some of y'all wouldn't like that. Somebody says, now wait a minute, preacher, don't start preaching communism. I'm not going to preach communism. But in the early church, this is the way that it was done. The significant thing that we can learn from that, though, listen to me, was it it put everybody in the church on the same level playing field. Now, when it comes to your job and my job and your money and my money, I know all of that has to be different. But what could we do in the church if we came to the place to where we didn't treat anybody else any differently? Where none of us felt like we were more spiritual than somebody else? Where none of us felt like we had it all figured out and bless their poor pitiful little hearts, they don't have it figured out? Are you with me this morning? What could we do in the church if, we, if everybody was on the same playing field? So we read that they sold everything they had. They gave it to the church treasurer, and they took care of everybody with it. But there's a story that I want to talk about in the early church. There was this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property that they owned as well, but they kept back a portion of the money for themselves. And the Scripture said, uh, no offense, ladies, this is just what the Word said, the Scripture said the wife had full knowledge of that part of the money that was held back. And some of you husbands are saying amen. She had actually, if the truth be told, it's probably us men that hide the money because she spends it, right? Can I get a witness? Y'all are cowards. You're afraid to say anything because she's sitting there this morning. Anyway, back on, back on subject. The scripture said that the wife had full knowledge of the part of the money that was held back. She knew what they did, and then he knew what they did. Because she told him. So they both knew what they were doing. And the problem came in when they wanted everybody else to think that they gave every bit of the money from the sale. They wanted everybody, they wanted to appear, that they were as spiritual as everybody else. And it might just have worked. But see, here's the thing that we need to remind ourselves about. God cannot be mocked. A scripture didn't say that he will not be. It says he cannot be. In other words, you cannot fool God. You might fool some of the people in the church. Are you with me this morning? You might fool some of the people in your family, but you cannot fool God. And I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter what was going on because we read that here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And of course, if you know the rest of the story, if you read the rest of the story, Ananias drops dead on the spot. But the point is that Ananias and his wife tried to make people think they were more spiritual than what they were. They tried to give the impression of sowing one thing when in reality they were sowing another. Peter said they lied to the Holy Spirit and they lied to God. They might have been able to fool the people, but they could not fool the Lord. In another passage of Scripture that's very familiar to many in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Achan. And Achan went against the directions of God and he stole some things, if you will, some devoted things from Jericho while they were in their battle there. And he came back and he hid them in his tent. The Bible said that none of his fellow soldiers knew what he did, but God was not fooled. God knew what was going on. Listen, God can't be fooled because God's, like, God's not like people. People can be fooled, but God can't be fooled. God, the Bible says that he discerns the very thoughts and the very intents of our hearts. See, we can make people think sometimes that we have their best interest in mind and that we're doing things for the right motive, but God sees into our hearts and into our minds, and God knows what the truth is. And God just won't be fooled, so we should never fool ourselves by thinking we can fool God. One of the most important things I can share with you about the story, um, about this particular story of Achan is that Achan took things and hid them in his tent. He sinned and then he hid it all while he was trying to do the spiritual things with everybody else. Can I tell you, that did not work then and it will not work today. Today. You cannot take sin that's in your life and sweep it under the rug and hide it in your tent and then get up and teach a discipleship class and then get up and be on the praise team. And then get up and play in the band. Are you with me? Or then get up and preach the word. If it didn't work then, it won't work now. And let me just tell you something. Uh, there's been a time or two, you might as well know now. I'll give you full disclosure this morning. That's why as far as this old preacher goes, if I don't know about it, I might be fooled. But I want to tell you something this morning. It's happened before. If, you got, if you're if you hiding sin in your tent and we find out about it, you got one way to stay on this platform. And that's repent of it. But if you don't repent of it, you're not going to play music and lead worship up here. Can I get a witness? Why? Because we we have a responsibility to guard the treasures of the temple. Are you with me this morning? That's our responsibility to do that. But here's the good news. Maybe you have been hiding sin in your tent. And if you have, all you have to do is repent of it, get rid of it, and then guess what? You're on the same level playing field as the rest of us because we all need God's grace and mercy. Now listen, because God can't be mocked, we need to realize this. It's a simple principle. You'll always get what you sow. You will always get what you sow. we got a farmer sitting here this morning, and he can tell you, you cannot plant corn and grow beans, right? You can't plant an orange tree and expect to get a grapevine. And in life, the harvest that you get will be determined by what you sow in life. And this is so true in many different areas of our life. We get, first of all, I want to talk about a few of those areas today. The first thing I want to talk about is we get what we sow in our spiritual life. Starting in the second sentence of verse 7 and then in verse 8 of our main text, here's what it says. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Listen, our spiritual life is determined by who we spend this life trying to please. You know, sometimes people will say, I don't know, the worship just didn't do it for me today. I didn't get much out of the worship service. What did you put in? I don't know today, the preaching just didn't seem to do it for me. How did you apply the word? Or did, like a lot of people do, did you take offense to it? Uh huh. See, because you you start telling people that they can't do things that the Bible... Here's the problem with today's world. They want to think that certain things are not sin. But I can't help what your opinion is. If the Bible says it's sin, it's sin. And that's the problem with the world today. But you'll get in your spiritual life, or with the church today, rather, really, but you'll get in your spiritual life what you sow. And if you live this life sowing your wild oats, then there's going to be a price to pay. But if you live your life sowing the harvest of the kingdom, you're going to reap some great rewards. Not only will you get the, to spend eternity in the presence of God, but you'll reap the rewards of the lives that you have impacted along the way and the difference that you have made. If you truly sow to the Spirit, I promise you, you won't be disappointed in the harvest that comes in. Secondly, you'll get what you sow in relationships. You can live your life if you want to keep unto yourself and afraid that if you really invest yourself into other people's lives that you're going to get hurt. Or you can risk it and you can sow some real relationships through the people that the Lord places in your life. If you pour yourself into other people and allow the Spirit to lead you in those relationships, you're not only going to blossom yourself, you're also probably going to cause them to grow. And there is no greater harvest, there is no greater blessing than to watch somebody uh, grow whom you have played a part in their spiritual growth. That's why it's so important that you develop good Christian godly relationships. Some of the best relationships that you may ever form... Maybe with other people right in this church whom you are, have yet to even meet. Sometimes it amazes me with the size of our church. We average about 300 a little over 300 people per weekend most of the time between two services. But there's so many people that say, I don't know, you know, if you mention a name, well, who's that? I don't know them. Some of the best relationships you'll ever form are probably people in this church that you have yet to meet, but you've got to get to those places uh, to connect with them and meet them. Uh, But that's the purpose of those connect groups is so that we grow each other together in the faith, just walking through life together. And if you want real relationships that will challenge you and change you and bring a blessing into your life, then you have to be willing to take the risk, to stick your neck out, put your heart on the line, and say, I'm going to start planting seeds today that make a difference. You know, Solomon one time wrote about taking some risk. I've heard the scripture used a lot of different ways. I want to use it about taking risk this morning, which is what he was ultimately writing about. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 1, Solomon said, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What a lesson in sowing and reaping. In other words, if you want to take some, if you'll be willing to take some risk and cast your bread upon the waters, reach out and form relationships and put what you have into it. Come into the worship service and put what you have into it. Then you're going to find that you'll get just as much back and sometimes more than what you initially invested. And if you don't have relationships that are challenging you and making a difference in your lives or other people's lives, we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. But we can start sowing seed and reaping those benefits. Thirdly, you also get, and I know it's going to get really quiet on this one. I told them at 8.45 I was prepared, so I'm prepared now. But I have to talk about it because it's the truth. You also get what you sow in giving. I've got one or two amens. You get what you sow in giving. When you read more of chapter 6, And then read the verses leading up to our main text today. You realize that part of what Paul is talking about here is sowing, yes, financially as well. We sow all these other ways, but we sow financially as well. And as a matter of fact, he makes it real clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 9... And verse 6. And when we read this passage of scripture, I want you to understand that at this point, Paul was actually in the process of taking up an offering from the Gentile churches so that he could give it to the church at Jerusalem who was really going through a hard time. And when talking to the people there at Corinth about this offering, here's what he said Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Listen to me. If you are kind and generous with your money, you won't be out anything in the end. Again, I got one yes, amen. You really won't. This is something that, honestly, I wish Angie and I had learned earlier on. It, it took us... Quite a few years of serving the Lord before we truly learned it. But if you are generous with your money, you really won't be out anything in the end. Your kindness and your generosity will be paid. It may not be the person that you helped out, but you'll be blessed financially when you use it and you are generous with God's church and also with helping other people. I want you to understand this is not just about giving to the church. Some of the greatest blessings that you'll ever receive in this life is when you help somebody outside the church that nobody else knows about. Some of the greatest blessings you'll ever receive. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because this book promises you what you do in secret, the Lord will reward you openly. And that's a principle that we have tried to put to practice to help other people if we know that they're in need we try to do that as a church to what extent we can and we try to do that personally But now listen, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me And I don't want everybody to feel like that when you go to the stoplight somewhere today And there's somebody standing there with the sign that you you have to give money Let the lord let the lord lead and direct you if you need to do that because listen, you know We took a weekend off a couple weekends ago. Uh, it was my last vacation vacation Day, I guess you might say, of the year. So the rest of the Sundays I'll be here. But anyway, except when I'm preaching somewhere. But anyway, uh, we were sitting at at a stoplight that afternoon, and there was a man standing there, and he had a sign. The first thing I noticed was that his sign was, you can't imagine, somebody that's supposed to be homeless and down on their luck, he had a sign that was beautifully made. I mean, it looked like my wife made it. It was perfectly written. It, it, it was very, very neat. I mean, just perfect. And then I got to looking at him. I do notice a few things like this. The man was wearing lucky jeans, Nike tennis shoes, a name brand hoodie, and he had a champion backpack on his back. And I told all of them in the car, don't roll down your window. He don't need nothing we got. Some of the people panhandling on the corner make more money than you and I do working a job. I realize that. But... When the Lord leads you to help somebody that is truly in need, listen to your pastor this morning. God will bless you. What you do in secret, the Lord will reward you openly. So you get what you sow in your spiritual life, you get what you sow in your relationships, and you get what you sow in your giving. And if you want a life, a fulfilled life, then follow the Spirit of the Lord where he takes you, and I promise you, you're going to be thankful about the harvest That you receive. There's one last lesson in sowing and reaping that's really important that I want to share this morning. Some of you might say, you know, Pastor, I've been planting seeds for a long time and it just seems like I've not seen much of a harvest. If that's the case, this lesson is for you. It takes patience to experience a good return. Let me say that again it takes patience to experience a good return. If in this market you were to go take out your 401k because of all the money that it's lost, and please don't tell me I'm the only one that's lost money. But if you go take it out now, likely you'll never recover what you've lost. But if you're patient, over time it will bounce back and you'll get back what you lost. Listen, patience Is a virtue and can I just say if there's anything no offense I love all the young people But if there's anything this last generation that we have before us needs to learn is patience We want everything instantly Instant gratification and you know what if I'm being honest If I'm being honest I like instant results and I like things that give me instant results. But look at what we're talking about today. We're talking about being planted. How many gardeners we got out there? How many ever planted a garden before? Let me see your hands. Gardening is not something that gives you instant results. You have to plant the seed, cultivate the crop, and wait for the harvest. It's a lot of work. And you know, that's probably why I've never enjoyed gardening. Something else I've never really uh, been crazy about. Johnny White was fishing. It's not because I don't enjoy talking to the guys while we're fishing. What I don't enjoy is sitting there waiting on something to bite. Why? Because I don't have a lot of patience. Patience is not my greatest virtue. But listen, that's exactly what we have to have when we're talking about a harvest. And it's important that you understand that so that I can finish what I'm about to say. Because it's easy To want to give up when you've planted seeds and you don't see a result. But if you'll wait, you'll see what God will do when the harvest comes. When James wrote his book, that was part of what he was talking about in scripture. He was writing to, to the Christians who had been scattered. Due to persecution, they were scattered, their church had been scattered, and they were living for God, but instead of receiving the harvest, they were experiencing some mistreatment, and they were facing some really difficult challenges. But I want you to listen to what James tells them in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. First thing he says, be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He tells them to be patient, and he gives them the example of the farmer's patience for the harvest and the rains that are needed uh, that he patiently waits for. And these people may not see all of of the results of their harvest. He's telling them, you may not see it until the Lord comes, but you will see the results of the seeds that you planted. And it's the same for us. We too, one day, and it may not be until the day that the Lord returns, but we will receive and see the harvest. But then again, we may see the results of the seeds that we planted sooner than we even think. But no matter when the harvest comes in, we cannot give up. Don't be weary in your well-doing. This is why I tell people all the time, when storms and things are coming in your life, keep coming to church. Keep worshiping the Lord. Keep paying your tithes. And wait and see what God will do. You know what? There's two things. One thing that depresses me and one thing that impresses me. And the thing that depresses me is when I see somebody that... See, how many knows it's easy to be exuberant in your worship and your praise when everything's going perfect in your life? Right? Right? When you're on the mountain, actually, the one of the old songs says life is easy when you're up on the mountain, right? That's when it's easy to praise. And you know what depresses me is when I see somebody that, oh, they can praise and they can be an exuberant, vibrant worshiper when they're up on the mountain and when everything's going great. But you let something you let something tough and some kind of storm go on in their life and they come in and they can't even lift their hands and worship the Lord. That depresses me. But you know what impresses me? When somebody's going through the storm of their life... And I watch them come through those doors. And it might be all they can do to come through the doors and get to their seat. But when the worship starts, they lift their hands. And they lift their voice. And they begin to praise God. You know why? Because they realize it's not about our situation. Our situation doesn't change his worth. He's worthy of our praise when we're on the mountain. But he's worthy of our praise when we're in the valley. And when we learn how to praise God through the tough times, we'll see a harvest that we've never seen before. No matter when the harvest comes in, we can't give up. And if you're tired today because you've been planting a seed, but you've not really been seeing any results, this is for you today. And I want to tell you, keep doing what you're doing and you will see those results. Don't get tired of doing what's right and what's good if they'll come to the music today. The lessons about planting are very simple. And I know this is a simple message but some of the lessons that are simple is you can't fool God about the kind of seeds that you are planting you get what you sow in your spiritual life you get what you sow into relationships and you get what you sow in your giving and it takes patience to experience the return and the harvest so I have one question today that I want to ask everybody in this room it's not a question that you can look at somebody else. It's a question you've got to ask yourself. What have I planted? What seeds have I planted? Am I sowing the right seeds? In the book of Psalms, chapter 92, I read this passage of Scripture last week, and I want to read it again today. Psalms, chapter 92, verses 12 and 13 says, The righteous... Will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Told you last week I wanted to share a couple things about palm trees and cedars with you today. One of those things is that palm trees have very deep roots. Did you realize that? A palm tree will actually grow downward until it finds a water source under the ground, it will continue growing deeper until it finds water and it's because of that their root systems are not they're not easily uprooted and they're not easily blown away even in times of extreme storms palm trees are also evergreen you can go to Florida in the summer or you can go to the tip of Florida in the winter and the palm trees will still be fresh and vibrant in all seasons palm trees also have many uses Almost every part of a palm tree is useful. The fruit is used to make palm oil. Shaft from the fruit is used uh, locally to generate fire for cooking. The leaves can be used for brooms or for making temporary roofs on huts and other structures. The sap is taken as palm wine while the stem can be used as beams for various applications. Palm trees... Will even grow in the desert. And I love this. Palm trees are easily spotted and identified. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. I wish to the Lord that the church that calls themselves the righteous could be easily spotted and easily identified. I wish that it was such a way that people could look at somebody and say, she's a Christian. He's a Christian. They serve the Lord. The Bible says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Now, cedar trees. Cedar trees usually grow rapidly and they reach up to a 100 To 130 feet on average. And some even grow up to 200 feet in height. I wish that in the church we would realize no matter who we are, there's always room to grow. See, we sometimes we reach this place in the church where we think, oh, I've been in this a long time you can't tell me anything I cut my teeth on pews they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon as long as they're living they're still growing cedar trees have a lifespan of of several hundred years they're very strong and their wood has many uses as a matter of fact the Bible teaches us that King Solomon's temple was lined with cedar wood And I love this one. Cedar wood naturally puts off a good smelling aroma. Anybody's granny have a cedar chest or a cedar closet? My granny had a cedar chest. She would store certain things in there. And when she opened that chest, you could smell that cedar. It was distinct. It was easily recognizable. Cedar wood puts off a good smelling aroma. It's distinct and it's easily recognized. I'm just going to say this. If we are truly part of the righteous, we'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon and we'll put off a good smelling aroma. But the problem in the church today is this. There's people that call themselves part of the church, but they're obviously not part of the righteous because what they put off stinks that could be you and it could be me and it is for me at times if you'll stand with me all over the room today I want to ask you one more time what kind of seeds are you planting? what kind of harvest are you expecting? we will will reap what we sow but the good news is this it's never too late to start sowing the right thing.